Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, it appears that you are at the beach, so my condolences. <laughs> and Tommy, I know all of us that are in the sounds of my voice have benefited over the Memorial Day weekend. And by the way, um, our thoughts and prayers to all those that did, you know, pay that ultimate sacrifice so that we can sit around and run our mouth like we do. Uh, but the weather has been surprisingly cool, and I think and hope all of us were able to get out and enjoy some of it. Yeah, that is that is well said. The uh, FSU softball team uh, hitting on all cylinders. Uh, the golf program's doing well. Uh, NCAA track championships are coming up. Florida State always finishes strong uh, as we get to this point of the year, baseball being the exception this year. And uh, and that is a big exception, but I have confidence Link will get the Knowles back where they want to go. But softball really is the story with how impressive they were against George. And we'll talk more about this in our next segment with Kurt Weiler. But I continue to have fun watching them play, and especially when they're uh, winning softball games. There is no doubt that Lonnie has built, Coach Alameda has built a program, and she continues to find ways to to tweak it. I mean, all of us so disappointed in that doubleheader sweep uh, against Mississippi State last year, taking that negative and now using it as a motivator as they go positive. Um, what she and her staff have been able to do and what these young ladies have been able to do is really, really fun to watch. Really fun to watch. I, I just opened the door about baseball, and you and I didn't talk much about baseball at all this year, the way the season went. But I, I do want to reiterate what I just said. I mean, I've known Link for a lot of years. I don't know him that well, but he and I used to do some broadcasts together. You know that. We've told that story before. Uh, the guy's wired for baseball and knows baseball, so I'm not, I'm not worried long term. I, I hate that this way went the way it did. And I didn't follow the team that closely, but I do know, and I'd have to count them up. It feels like there were probably 15 games where they had a lead in the seventh inning or later and just couldn't close the game out. And those, that math might be off a little. And the point is they were about six outs short in several games, which is to say they were three or four arms short. Now Link would tell you they were eight or 10 arms short. I'm just making the point that if you had a couple more arms, if you don't lose Wyatt Crowell, you get a few more outs maybe things go differently. You weren't going to be a great team this year, but maybe it's not quite what we're all looking at right now. Well, and we talked about it at the beginning of the year. We, we, we had Link on, we had the pitching coach on, and certainly the arms were an issue, but you weren't going to say anything. You're not going to come out in your inaugural season when, when you've not had these kids before and say, you know, I do not like my pitching staff. We're going to have to recruit differently going forward or whatever he may have said. Uh, and, you know, because he got in late, because Notre Dame went to the series last year, um, you know, it, it was he was behind the eight ball trying to get things put together. And I think it just became clear 
uh, as we see this in other sports, Leonard went through it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to have the type of kids in that you want, and he'll get there. He's just got to give, be given some time to get those kids in. He will. He will. All right, we'll keep the conversation on the diamond. We'll talk FSU softball with Kurt Weiler right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. Kurt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. Are you doing as well to watch here? I was going to say, are you doing as well as the women's softball team at FSU? That's the real question. Not sure I'm doing that well. I mean, they're doing, uh, that was uh, quite a performance from them last weekend. I mean, I think a lot about that Georgia matchup scared you, and they kind of rolled right through it. You know, I think the cool thing is the atmosphere out there. Well, there's a lot of cool oh, yeah. things to it, but one of the cool things is the atmosphere, and it's it's become sort of the place to see and be seen right now is what it feels like. Do you get that sense when you're out there? Yeah, I mean, the Georgia head coach, Tony Baldwin, I think after both games of press conference, you know, the first thing he said was, man, that was a cool atmosphere, and, like, that's great for college softball, and it was just so appreciative, maybe even a bit jealous. I don't know kind of what the softball atmosphere is is like up there. But yeah, I mean, I had people out there this weekend say, all right, I think we might need to like add an upper deck or something or find a way to, to, to add quite a bit more seats. Cause I mean, what S- tickets for the super regional sold out in less than a minute. I mean, the demand is there and uh, it is a, a fun place to be this time of year, pretty much every year nowadays. I mean, Lonnie's got it rolling. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about OKC in just a second, but one of the things that, that jumped to my mind as I'm looking through that is, temporary seating or something out in the outfield, put out a pavilion, do something. Let's get three or four or 5,000 people there. I think they explored trying to add temporary seating in that tiny space. And it kind of came back of it's not safe. It's kind of, they didn't could get be. approval to do it. Could be, could be. Well, you also, and we don't have to dive too much deeper on this, but you've got the contingent of fans who aren't paying to be in there, but they kind of add yeah. to the ambiance. And uh, it also creates more demand to get those tickets inside that sell out in a minute. So, but I, I agree. I mean, it's cool to see, and they've made some nice enhancements to the stadium. I think the most impressive thing, Kurt, and we've had Lonnie on the show. We have her on annually, I guess. At the, we had sometimes a couple times a year, but we had her on in February. And the word culture gets thrown around a lot for every program and just about everything nowadays. But she really seems to have, have figured that out from the get-go here. I mean, that is one thing that has never been in question, it feels like. Even if they've had deficiencies or not enough arms or they're not quite good enough to win it all, I mean, they just smile from ear to ear and genuinely love playing the game and playing for one another. I mean, the program standards, I know, is the FSACC acronym, and that first one, F, is, is family. I mean, it, it works out for, for her that kind of that gets to be the first one, but I think it's there for a reason because I think she kind of is absolutely of the belief of this team isn't going to accomplish what we are capable of or kind of maximize our potential if we're not kind of don't have that type of culture. I mean, that's a huge thing for her. I mean, I love that uh, that what minutes before they played South Carolina in one of those regional games a few weekends ago, there was a dance battle between Florida State and South Carolina. I mean, that's she wants to keep things loose, have fun with it, and I mean, like you said, have that culture, that family atmosphere that uh. She has has built to be incredibly strong at, at Joanne Graff Field. And guys, to build upon that, but to add to it, don't forget the brand. Florida State is now a brand when it comes to softball. You know, we heard 
We heard uh, AD talk about the brand and how it relates to revenue on the football side. But Florida State's drawing uh, the mothership in prime time. Uh, they're, they're expected to be, be a, a viewership draw. Uh, that's all part of the brand. And, and they've built that. It's been neat to see how those two things have come together. Yeah, Michael Alford uh, talked a few weeks ago, talked about how much he enjoys, I mean, being a school that funds all, all of its sports to kind of compete at the highest level. And I mean, we, we've seen that with quite a few sports lately with softball. I mean, year in and year out, the commitment is there financially. And Florida State's done a lot to kind of keep on Lonnie Alameda happy. And she backs it up with the performance in the on the field with her team year in and year out. Well, speaking of head coach Lonnie Alameda, and as we're talking, it's uh, it's Tuesday and the softball team left earlier in the day on Tuesday. Uh, mid-afternoon, I guess, to, to head out to Oklahoma City. And there was a media contingent there. And uh, let's listen now to head coach Lonnie Alameda, and then we'll continue the softball conversation. But uh, this was uh, Lonnie as she and the team headed to uh, Oklahoma City. To be back at this point, I mean, this was the end goal. This is where you wanted to be, to be loading the plane at the end of the year. This, this is what you worked so hard for all season long. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as a coaching staff, you said at the beginning of the year and you set out a master plan for how we want to get better as a team um, physically and mentally um, and I think mentally was probably one of the biggest things we hit um, from uh, the end of our last um, games versus Mississippi State last season so um, sitting here you know it's surreal but it's also uh, really cool because uh, I think we're really proud of the work we put in and the opportunity to go compete for a national championship. Playing in this venue, you know it's a big venue out there in Oklahoma yep. City, you know what do you tell the players you know to prepare for looking for you know for these games? Yeah, um, I think first of all, if I ask all the returners, like, you know, sure, the ones that haven't been there, what it's like just to hear their perspective. And um, I think one is it's really loud. Um, you know, it's a lot of noise and really loud, but sometimes it's not like playing here is Florida State loud. So there's a difference, you know, we'll have our fans, our 200 people, our fans, but when you talk about the whole stadium, it's a lot of people that just love softball. So you get loud noises. So we got to communicate and, and be pretty good on that side of it. Um, I think also like you know it's like you get to be like a little celebrity there um, everywhere you go um, a lot of kids are there coming to watch softball at a high level and um, you know it's like stardom they get to see all these amazing players from all these schools and so um, so that's a lot so that's a like a, you know you're really on I guess on all the time you go to a coffee shop you know you're on all the time and pictures and autographs and so downtime is super important and we, we tie in some you know downtime we get in there too um, and then I also think too, it's just another tournament, you know, um, it's not cause we're here today and we're talking about going on a charter to Oklahoma city, but it's just another tournament. It's just a softball tournament. Um, there's nothing different than what we've been doing all season long. So if we can stay grounded, uh, in that, and that comes from the trust you built with your teammates. So the minute it gets pretty big, can we just look each other in the eye and be like, man, it's just another ground ball, fly ball and a runner at two and, and keep it that simple. How beneficial is the familiarity with Oklahoma state? Yeah, um, it's very beneficial to have played teams already and played in the state of Oklahoma already. Um, but we're a different team than uh, we were when we played them. They're a different team uh, now too. So um, so I, I think that the fact is we've gone through this gauntlet of a season and now we're prepared for anything at this point. Um, I think the familiarity for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State is they play at that venue quite a bit. Um, they play the Big 12 tournament there. They play regular season there. So it'll be really comfortable for them. It may take us a while to feel out the fences and feel out things because that is a different environment. Um, but when it comes to competition, I think it's more um, what we do and then how we're going to do it against teams that maybe we've already seen. 
you mentioned the crowd. I mean, you're going to get a taste of that right off the bat because it's. You mentioned that it's kind of yeah. a. It's not much of a home game as it is for Oklahoma, but it's yeah. still a home game for Oklahoma State. Yeah. Is that something that you just? I'm sure you'll talk about it, but until you're in it, yeah. You're really not. They're not going to really understand what it is. How do you address that with um, the team? Uh, I mean, it's what you play for. <laughs> so you want to be in these environments. You want to be in the, the probably the the biggest thing is it's two layers. So it's almost like a football stadium. It echoes. So that's going to be a little bit, you know, unique. But we played some great environments. Clemson was a great environment. Vatek was a good environment. Like we played in some some heavy um, fan yelling and uh, big game moments environments. And um, I don't know if uh, much more other than playing super regionals at our place with our fans. I mean, it was extremely loud and electric. So we've been in a lot of really good moments that we can rely on. How far ahead have you scouted, you know, pool opponents like, like a Washington or Utah? Yeah, um, nitty gritty scouting, not yet. That'll be more probably tonight. But um, over the weekend, there was a lot of watching games of all the teams. So um, I wouldn't say it's, I'm very familiar with all the teams. Our players are too, because they were able to sit home on Saturday and Sunday and watch some games also. But the actual nitty gritty will be a little more detailed tonight, tomorrow. Coach, how important is game one? I mean, if you get that game, <laughs> yeah. you um, you get the day off, you get to set up your pitching staff, you know, the way you want it. How, do, how big a deal would yeah, I mean, um, we have not done it that way, so all of ours have been a loss, so I don't know, honestly, you know, what game one winning is like, but um, I mean, statistically, it's huge, um, rest is huge, all those things are huge, but um, I don't put extra pressure on that, I, we gotta go play the game, and whatever happens from there, we go, and probably the great thing is we've had a lot of experience losing game one and getting in fight mode and getting after even winning a championship. So um, so I think when you look at numbers, you're like, oh man, if you lose a game, where are you going to be? Well, we've been there. So yeah. we know that we can fight and then come out of it. And um, so I, I don't put a lot of pressure on that, but obviously statistically, that's a huge advantage to win game one. Yeah. And talking about the time slot that you guys, I don't know if it makes too much of a difference, but you know, there was the 12 and then all the yeah. way to 9.30, you guys went at the seven. Do you, is that going to benefit yeah. you guys anyway? Or I guess how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, night games, um, you know, sometimes are tough because what do you do all day long? Um, so you've got to manage your nervous energy at that point. Um, but, I mean, we, we've been doing that a little bit too. So, I, you know, at this point, you've been together as a team. And, you know, can you just – probably the biggest thing for me is do we get downtime where we can get away and just not be so engaged and take away that engagement energy and, and just, you know, get a couple hours by ourselves to be able to get after, you know, the games. Coach, you mentioned the fan squad. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs> he is so cute. <laughs> You can fit in that backpack, I know. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the fans. I mean, electric atmosphere in Tallahassee. You guys have had such a good turnout yep. in OKC when you've been there. Even the boosters today yep. to make this trip possible. Just to Florida State fans, just mm -hmm. how thankful are you to have this fan base behind your back? Yeah, I mean, um, extremely thankful for our community. You know, our fan base is incredible. There's a Florida State fan base, and we have a community. Um, you know, and, and I joke about family being a core value and really important to us, um, but it is a lived value here. Uh, it is something that um, when we go visit TMH or, um, you know, the fire department or whatever it might be, um, everyone feels so invested in the games, you know, and everyone, I get so many random emails of like, oh man, Georgia's knocking out the lines, tell the umpire, you know, everyone's so invested in things and I love it. I think it's so awesome. Um, so to me, that's what college sports is all about um, and we're able to, um, have a fan base in our hip pocket and it's not judgmental it's uh it's very um it, everyone enjoys softball and they enjoy the girls and they, and they enjoy the environment so um so we're very lucky for that you already been playing football now oh yeah yeah i think we've been playing from all season uh i think uh you know at this point you know it's um 
anything can happen. The ball can bounce anyway, you know, but we're the most prepared team we can be. Uh, and I think we flipped the switch probably two weeks ago. Um, everyone's all in, doesn't really matter how it happens. I mean, you could see Autumn Belvi and Amaya coming off the bench and getting 60 feet and um, there's an electricity about it, you know? So everyone knows their role. They're ready to be, you know, all they need to be for us. Coach Alameda and the Knowles will open play on Thursday night. They got the primetime slot or one of them anyway against Oklahoma State. And so, so let's spin it a little bit further forward. She plays a very challenging schedule. They played Oklahoma State and Oklahoma this year. Before we talk about the Sooners, can Florida State overcome Oklahoma State and that, that home crowd there? Because this tournament is what, uh, I mean, it's right in the backyard for Sooners and Cowgirls. More the Sooners for sure. I mean, it's about 30 minutes from Norman, which is crazy. But yeah, no, I mean, that is a, a definite challenge. I mean, especially, I mean, Oklahoma State took two of three in that series, but kind of there were, I think there was one run rule game for Florida, for Oklahoma State that kind of got away, two tight ones where each team kind of won a, a close game. I mean, they the, they overcame that last time because two years ago, the last time they were in Oklahoma City, they remember that game that started at like, when did it start? Like one in the morning or something crazy like that it was before they added that extra day as the buffer. That game's kind of why it happened. They beat Florida state in the wee hours of the or Oklahoma state rather in the wee hours of the, of the morning. And I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, uh, with both those schools. I mean, it helps that those programs. I mean, it's a major feather in both Oklahoma state and Oklahoma's caps that uh, they kind of have that home field advantage. They're going to have a big contingent there, but I, I'm sure Florida state will have a, a contingent as well. Well, that, that contingent will be small, and so the things that are directed to Florida State will be limited. But I will yeah. tell you one thing, guys. Having having played in games on the football side, having broadcast for 35 years and, and, and some softball in that broadcast experience, if you like excitement, it really doesn't matter if you're at home or if you're away. You don't hear the individual things. You just hear it's, it. It goes from being white noise to be exciting noise, and it'll ebb and flow with whoever they're pulling for. But guess what? There'll be a number of people there that don't like Oklahoma State or Oklahoma either, and they're there to root for somebody else. But they're going to be in the stands when Florida State's playing. Well, the, the Washington UCLA or not UCLA, so Washington Utah fans who are on the I imagine would probably rather. It's tough. I mean, Florida State's the higher ranked team. They're I guess on paper the better team but you're not going to have that huge hostile atmosphere if the winner or loser, whoever kind of wins that game later in the night has to play the next team. I think what the loser's bracket game is uh, Friday or winner's bracket on Saturday. Hey, Kurt, just from a, how she builds her team uh, perspective, this is a team that runs a lot, but there have been teams that, that played a lot of power, had a lot of power. I think of the national championship team with, with Jesse Warren is it a, a matter of just molding her team to the parts she has, or is she really trying to go out and say, I want to play this style. And thus the team reflects that. So it's funny. I, I talked this week. It's the story I'm writing. I was working on before hopping on here about, I mean, how, yes, this team hits its fair share of home runs. This team hits a lot of doubles, which is a testament to power, but I think that, that they so much want to create that pressure and that chaos on the base paths. I mean, they are far and away at the most stolen bases of any team going to Oklahoma city. They, they, I mean, it played a role really in the ACC championship game in the regional and the super regional, just the pressure they put on defenses to make perfect plays with their speed. Talking to Travis Wilson about it. I talked to him for the story uh, more than Lonnie. He talked about kind of, we recruit, we were looking for kind of all around athletes. We're looking for 
speed and players that can move a lot of the time. We want that speed throughout the lineup. And the hope is as they're in college longer, they can kind of develop that power. And we've seen that some, we've seen Kaylee Mudge develop more of that power. I think she's got almost 20 doubles this year. We've seen even like a player, like a Josie Muffley, like a Devin Flaherty develop more of that power that he kind of said is more about just them, them knowing how players are going to pitch them, knowing how they're going to get pitched than it is like getting stronger or anything like that. But I definitely think that is something they value in recruiting more than I think a lot of other teams you look at. Good insight on the softball team. For those who, who don't uh, follow the game that closely, there's eight teams left. They split them into two four-team brackets, and whoever comes out of those four-team double elimination brackets will play a best-of-three winner-take-all series. We're hoping it's Florida State. I think everybody knows it's going to be Oklahoma, barring something miraculous on the other side. Um, but we wish them luck. They open up against Oklahoma State on uh, Thursday evening. All right, we'll take a break. We'll switch gears, uh, talk a little uh, football and bigger picture ACC right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, we're talking with Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. Kurt, uh, Keith and I mentioned, mentioned this uh, in passing before we started recording, and as we're talking... The SEC is having its meetings in Sandestin, which side note, we worry about how everybody's going to have enough dollars in college athletics, but the ACC finds a way to meet at Amelia Island and the SEC finds a way to meet at Sandestin every year at this time. Amazingly, right? Are they somewhere else? What's the, what's that look? No, you're not just Amelia Island, but at the Ritz Carlton in Amelia Island, like the, the nicest of the night. I was there in the lobby for a few days. It's quite nice. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> um one of the things, and I don't know if they're going to resolve it this week or if it's going to be resolved by the time people are listening to this, but the SEC is still trying to figure out are they going to play eight conference games or nine uh, as they move forward as a league. And maybe they'll table that for now because we're expanding the playoff. And I, I, I don't know where we'll go with that. But uh, do you have thoughts on where they're going to land on that first as a starting point? I mean, I'm not sure. It, it's funny. It seems like they're almost saying they're, 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 they're trying to like say they're willing to do eight to try and leverage a better TV deal, leverage more money from ESPN. It seems like that's kind of their, uh, their play at the moment. And they're hoping that ESPN will kind of buckle and give them what they want. We'll see how it ends up. But I mean, I think it undeniably has an effect for Florida state, because I mean, as long as Florida state's in the ACC and, and it doesn't seem like that's a, there's an, an exit coming in the immediate future. As long uh, Florida State wants to play Florida, and and if the SEC goes to nine conference games, you wonder if that becomes in peril. Does does Florida say, well, we're adding now a ninth SEC team uh, game in kind of the best conference, quote unquote, and then do we really also want to play Florida State? Kind of have like ten games against power competition every year, or do they maybe scale that back? So I mean, I think Florida State's probably in, in a lot of ACC teams. I mean, Clemson, uh, Louisville. Why? I mean, there are others that I'm sure are looking to kind of see, I mean, how will this impact us? Because it does seem like a thing that could affect those rivalries in the near future. Like, like we saw with what in Oklahoma, Oklahoma state's not going to be played anymore because they're leaving. Right. Yeah. I, you know, Tom and I were talking about this before you came on and before we started recording and I I'm probably old school from the standpoint that it took so long for the FSU Florida game to get started. It, it should take that much or if not longer for it to quit. Um, I personally think the SEC is going to go to nine games, and there's two reasons I think that. Number one, they're in into that preliminary negotiation of their renewal. They're within yeah. that two- or three-year window, whatever it is. 
And by putting that ninth SEC game in the con in the in the in the combine, if you will, that's a move to pressure ESPN. Secondly, remember in the COVID year, they went ten SEC games only. They did not play outside of the conference. It was the highest rated year from viewership than they ever had. And so people want to see SEC teams play SEC teams. That's just where we're at right now. Maybe that'll change 10 years from now, but that's the landscape we're in presently. Well, and the nine-game SEC slate probably benefits those teams where, I mean, it only further boosts kind of the strength of schedule as we go to the 12-team playoff. And I'm sure the SEC would love to get in three, four, maybe even five teams on the regular into that 12-team field. And, and I'm guys, I don't know how you feel, but if I'm playing nine games in the SEC and I drop one, I lose that game, but my strength of schedule is so much improved with 12 teams, you don't have to worry about being a three loss team. There'll be two or three, three loss teams in the 12. So the pressure of four versus 12 in the playoff changes that a little bit too, in my opinion, just my opinion, nobody may agree, but that's how I think of it. And maybe that adds some fuel too. I mean, it, it motivates Florida to keep Florida state on the schedule, even when that happens just from a standpoint of, I mean, that only further boosts your SOS and further boosts your, your standing. Even if you, you, you lose another game from time to time, it, it kind of only helps those metrics, but that's kind of the, uh, the thing that, that Florida will have to figure out if, uh, if it does go to nine is I think seems inevitable at some point. It's about if it happens now. Well, and there will be a decision that Florida will have to make. And Florida was maligned years ago and has been since for dropping the Miami series because they used to play Miami annually too. And it's been a, uh, it's been a badge for Florida state folks to say, we're the only school that plays the other big two each year. Right. And then crown themselves as state champs in years like last year where you beat both of them. But it's one of the unfortunate potential. And we're not saying this is going to happen, but I think we all agree. They'll have to think about if they go to nine games, they'll have to think about it. Uh, I was mentioning to Keith that you could see a scenario where uh, maybe Miami goes to the Big Ten and that's not where FSU goes. And so that series could go away, too. I mean, just so just think about it. We're all worried that Florida State's not going to have enough money. Uh, And I guess if they joined the SEC, that that question would be answered and you'd find a way to play Florida. But one of the potential ramifications or implications here is that you lose rivalry games. For sure. No, I mean, it's uh, it is absolutely a. Uh, a concern of a, it could be a byproduct of, I mean, the big two that we're, we're seeing it emerge. And like you said, I don't think it would be a long-term thing because I, if you ask me now, I'm not sure Florida state is, is long, long-term in the ACC, but in the interim, I think it's entirely possible that that Florida doesn't want to add a 10th game against a kind of not just, I mean, a, a another power five team, but a power five team that's had a, quite a bit of success. That's won three national titles that is in Florida and could get talent. And so it might be something that's put on hiatus until maybe Florida state, follow suit and ends up in the ACC, but that doesn't seem imminent by any means. Kurt, related but changing topics. Um, we're going to go to unequal funding. I can't remember the phrase. We'll have to commit that to memory. Succession initiatives. Band-aid. Band-aid. There you go. Yes, that band-aid <laughs> is probably a better. They call that the success initiatives is their term, but but uh, a band-aid that like may have already been used for a few days and like doesn't have the full bit of hold anymore is probably like a like more accurate well, the one thing that did encourage me, and I haven't sat down to study the numbers, nor would I possibly be able to, but I've always heard, and maybe A.D. Alford talked about this, but these types of things might result in 2 or $3 million of additional revenue to those teams that did real well. Now, there's stories out that if you make the playoff, 
the differential in funding may be $10 million. That becomes significant. That can get you all the way. It does become significant. Yeah, it's not going to make up the entire gap that's about to be there. And that was like $10 million was the number I think Alfred threw around. He didn't want to commit to anything directly, but but he kind of, I think somewhere, it came up in that media scrum in Amelia Island where someone was like, like what? how much of a difference do you think it could make? Someone said like $10 million, He said yes. Someone said like fifteen million. He was like, oh, I'd have to look at the, I'd have to look at the models or something. But yeah, I think, I mean, I, I wrote a story about it. I think what coming out of Amelia, I guess two weeks ago now, like uh, about, I mean, the playoff teams that make the playoffs make like make six million. Teams that make a New Year's Six Bowl make four million. But as things are now, and we'll be through this year, and kind of changes are coming in twenty twenty four. That money gets pooled and given out to the ACC teams. It's not like you get six million or your school gets six million for making a playoff. It's the conference does, and every school gets what what is six million divided by by fourteen. It's probably about, uh, I mean, it's probably about half a mil, right? Less than half a mil. Do we know, Kurt? So the NCAA, the way they do the basketball distributions, yeah. is based on a six year unit, I think they call it. Yes. So how many times you've been over the last six years? Is that what we're looking at here, or if you go to the playoff one year, you're getting it? Or are they basing it on a couple? We don't know those particulars. We don't know. So the, if you go look at the ACC press release, it's kind of funny. The ACC press release is like, we've agreed we're going to do this, but we don't have details yet. Like they have not hammered out. They have, I guess, time if they're not implementing this until the 2024-25 academic year, which is kind of unfortunate considering Florida State's probably going to have a pretty good football team this fall, and they they aren't going to benefit from the uneven revenue yet. But, you know, I think, I, I think the units could absolutely be a part of it. I mean, I think that's kind of the other main thing beyond a playoff or New Year's Six appearance that could make up that difference if, because yeah, it's units based on every game your conference plays in. So say, I mean, two years ago when UNC and Duke both made the final four, that was a ton of units for the ACC because like a unit is a game your team plays in. And as of now, those are pooled and distributed, but maybe teams get to start keeping their units. That, I mean, the last few years, that wouldn't have benefited Florida State, but there was a period of time not that long ago when it would have. I can imagine Amy and, and Commissioner Phillips, when Commissioner Phillips says, now, Amy, who's, who handles press releases for the ACC, I need you to put out something. And she goes, okay, so I, I'm going to tell them we're going on vacation. But I'm not telling them whether we're taking the kids, whether we're flying or driving, whether we're going to the Bahamas or staying stateside, or whether we're going to try to do three weekend trips. But you want me to put out a press release. Yes, put out that press release. That's my first thought. I read the ACC's release. It said we're thinking about it. Basically, yes, it is committing to like committing to a change that they won't yet commit to what that change is. As a side note, and Keith, I don't know if you received these. You probably do. Do you get the and Kurt would as well the uh, ACC points of pride or whatever it points is. Points of pride, yeah. That somehow they send out at news dump time every week at like Friday at 5.45 p.m. They send out that 28 student athletes won road scholars and national championships. I'm like, why does this get buried at news dump time? But that's a, it's a separate conversation. Just thought I'd point that out, though. Um, all right, let's go, let's go to Florida State. Uh, FSU announced officially on Tuesday that uh, Keon Coleman, uh, we, we knew he was transferred to FSU. But as with all things, until it actually comes to fruition, it's not 100%. I don't think there was worry about him getting away after he committed, but what do you think of this addition? I don't know that you, that you've talked about it on this show. Uh, just, just adding him to what FSU already has offensively. I mean, I think it's, I think it's big time. I think, I mean, you liked a lot, obviously bringing back Johnny is a big deal. It's kind of that number one receiver. And you liked a lot of what you saw from Kentron Portier this spring, I think as a, as a possible number two guy, 
but but bringing in a Keon Coleman who had what over 700 yards, seven touchdown catches last year, really really nice. I mean, another I think six four receiver, another real tall target who is incredible. I mean, if you go watch his highlight film at contested catches, it kind of shores up the top end of that receiver room. And I think there's a world where you you trot out as kind of your starting lineup potentially, Johnny, Keon Coleman, and maybe even Kentron Portier as a, a tall slot who gives you, I mean, three well over six foot targets who have kind of proven experience and can be real playmakers. I mean, that's on top of everything else in the offense. It, it just, I mean, it, the column I wrote or the story I wrote in the wake of it was kind of just, I mean, that offense is already going to be lethal. Adding a weapon like that with that production and experience only takes that to another level. Kurt, we talked with Bob last week, and he really didn't have any answers, but uh, FSU, I think, formally starts their summer workout program either this week or next week, but I believe it's this week. Have you all been told what kind of access you may or may not have to it? We don't normally get access to that. I mean, I think it is new that coaches can kind of be out there, right? Isn't it? Historically, it's only kind of been – Strength and conditioning staff and coaches, I think, are finally starting to have a a sort of level of involvement. So, no, we normally get to watch one tour of duty before spring, but we don't normally have access to a lot of the summer stuff. We might not uh, really see them outside of like at a recruiting event until ACC kickoff in July. Well, as we head into summer and and beach time and counting the days until until camp opens, do you expect just a random Thursday, there'll be some announcement that FSU found a safety in the portal, or is it going to be quiet now for a little while? I mean, what are you expecting here over the next couple of months? Uh, it's a tough one. I mean, I think the truth of the matter is, I think some schools that were banking on more in the uh, the spring, the post-spring transfer window, were kind of disappointed with the uh, relative lack of, I think there wasn't some second big boom. I think it's emerging that that first period, that December transfer window is going to be the big window, and Florida State took advantage of that, but the one, I mean, the one safety, Jalen Key, I mean, they went toe-to-toe with uh, with Alabama and I think came up kind of just short. I think it's possible, but I mean, in the meantime, I know they, they he they, FSU hasn't announced yet, but Ashlyn Barker is a JUCO safety who's committed. And I think he, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do right away. I mean, I guess the, the problem right now, I think you like some of what you have with Ashlyn Barker, with what you saw from KJ Kirkland. I think the two DBs coming in over the summer are both expected to be safeties, Edwin Joseph and Conrad Hussey. But, I mean, as things stand now, yeah, I mean, in terms of you might be trotting out a younger player out there, and it'll be interesting how that plays. So, yeah, I think Florida State would love to. It's just about if that proper option uh, presents itself. But, I mean, it does bear mentioning they put the long snapper on scholarship, James Rosenberry, Rosenberry earlier today, and they still, I think, have a couple to play with. I think by our count they're now at 83. But that kind of shows, I mean, I think that things are winding down a bit. Kurt, based on everything you know, those that were expected to show up in the in the summer, there were five or six of the high school seniors, and then as we've mentioned, a couple of the transfers. But everybody's on board. There has been no defections or or someone that couldn't get in based on what you've heard as we're talking. Correct. Kurt, final thought from you on a different sport as we get out of here. As we're talking, uh, FSU men's golf is in the quarterfinals of the of the national. So as folks listen to this, uh, hopefully they're still playing in the semis or the finals. But uh, regardless of that, Amy Bond has taken her team to the top 10 or top eight, I guess, I guess technically tied for fifth the last couple of years. Now Trey Jones has his team there two out of the last three years. I mean, they've both done a great job for a long time. Is, is this noticeable consistency at this level? Is it attributable to the, to the new golf course, the refinished golf course, or just how good they are as coaches? I, I, if I had to bet, that's not a coincidence. I think they put a, a graphic up there today. I think only three, 
programs have had their men's and women's teams make kind of the NCAA championships, the top, what is it? I ever have basically make it out of a regional the last three years. It's Georgia, it's Texas and it's Florida state. I mean, I think I, and that kind of lines up with the timeline of close to the golf course. I, I'm not going to entirely rule that out as a possibility. I mean, but also it's felt like, I mean, they're perennially pretty good teams and it's just maybe a matter of things breaking right. I mean, you said they're in the court, they're actually in the semis right now, Tom, they're playing Florida as we speak. I, I shorted playing, them. I they're, they're playing Florida for a, they're in the early holes here, but for a spot in the national title game. You know, uh, I didn't. I knew they played uh, 36. If you advance, I was thinking the 36 was tomorrow. They're actually up three to one through four or five holes right now, pretty early as we talk. Yeah, um, yeah, they're up. One guy's already up two and three holes. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, people will know by that. I mean, I don't know. It's when this goes up. I think the national championship match is tomorrow at like 3:30 or so. It starts. But yeah, so Wednesday afternoon, as you're listening to this, folks, tune into that. Hopefully, they're uh, they're still alive. Kurt, we appreciate it. Uh, good insight. And uh, always enjoy the conversations. Happy summer to you, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. We'll take a break, come back more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. minutes left to wrap things up i want to go back to the conversation about uh, this has been universally panned might be too strong a term keith but i think we all know that the unequal revenue sharing doesn't solve all the issues uh i mean i can i can spend less going out to dinner but that doesn't mean necessarily that i can go buy a mansion on the beach right i mean I, i could move some dollars around and so i don't know if that's the perfect analogy but to to the point if if the acc and they've not disclosed this as we just talked about if whoever makes the playoff is truly going to get to keep their full share, and 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 if what Kurt just referenced with Michael Alford saying it could be up to ten million, I know that's not thirty million, but short term that's not insignificant. If you start getting eight or ten million extra a year, now you have to make the playoff to do it, but it's not insignificant. Well, and that was my point because prior to this, and 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 maybe you've read something different, or Kurt has seen something different, or read something different, but you know the the tweaking that get talked about would be two or three million dollars, and that's. That was considered a drop in the bucket. 10 million, now you're starting to get some attention. You're right. It is not a long-term solution, but it is a very viable one-step, two-step, three-step to trying to get to a solution. Um, Find out what happens with the SEC and the other television networks. Uh, First of all, find out what happens with the Pac-12. They still don't have a contract. Um, See what the landscape looks like. Um, It's just going to be an interesting time we go back and we can talk old school all we want to. I hate that we're talking about the transfer portal. I do not like NIL, uh, this, that, and the other. Uh, I hate that we're talking about money. But the reality is that's where we are. That's how where you, we are. How do you feel about the targeting rule, Keith? I mean, as long as we're on a roll here. <laughs> all I know, Tommy, is is I played in 35 games at Florida State, and I probably would have been kicked out of about 15 of them or more. So <laughs> don't get me started. Well, but you weren't breaking the rules. Those were the rules, and you were playing within the rules. At the time. Well, the the problem now is nobody understands the interpretation of the rules because everybody interprets it differently. That's really what the problem is here. It's not a cut and dry, 
thing, depending on which game you're watching and who the replay official is and all that. <laughs> Have you, like me, gotten uh, tickled by what's going on at the NFL level when they're talking about allowing the fair catch inside the 25? And a couple of the old school head coaches are talking about where, you know, two or three more revisions, we're going to be playing touch football out there. We'd probably still be watching, though, based on the way that people enjoy their, their football in this country. I That's mean, there's spring leagues too. going on right now. We spend all year talking about Florida State and the transfer portal, even if you don't want to talk about the transfer portal. Uh, FSU has uh, – they, they continue to get praise. One of the ESPN guys this week gave Florida State a lot of praise based on the parts and pieces that are coming together. So uh, it's going to be a long summer, Keith. We're still two months from uh, – you know, getting out there on the practice fields. But but there is continued enthusiasm and optimism. I know that. Well, and one last thing, you know, preliminary um, commitments and things like that for the 24 season, which obviously do not include transfer portal. Uh, you know, knock on Coach Norvell. Is he spending too much time in the staff, spending too much time in the portal and not enough time at the high school level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the first things I've read about the 24 recruiting class is that FSU is in the top 10. Those are all high school kids. Now, that's yeah, that, just the commitment. That's not the signees, but that that speaks to the work that the staff is doing as well, it, I think. It speaks to proof of concept on the field, too. And if they do it again this year, which it's it's hard to see a scenario where uh, this isn't a 9 or 10 win team. I mean, we're all thinking bigger than that. It's hard to see a 7 and 5 type team. Uh, so they're, they're going to continue to do well in recruiting. All right, Keith, I know that you've got to get out to the beach, so I will, uh, I'll let you go. Appreciate you taking one for the team though, as always. Well, I got a, a, a gallon of Hawaiian tropic and I'll be good underneath the, the umbrella. Folks just enjoy that mental image until next week when we reconvene for front row Knowles. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you then.